Hello listener, welcome to Switch It. Anyone starting to panic yet? England won the test against Ireland but lost their spinner and now might need to find an entirely new blueprint for the Ashes. There's also Ben Stokes' knee, James Anderson's groin and Zach Crawley's off-stump fragility to worry about as Basball gears up for its greatest challenge yet. We're approaching the crunch, but England have unsurprisingly found time to squeeze in a few more rounds of golf. And to be fair, it's a strategy that has worked out well for them so far. To discuss the latest, from Jack Leach's unfortunate back knack to a mowing alley mayday, I'm joined in the studio by ESPN Crick Info UK editor Andrew Miller and associate editor Batushan Ehantaraja, two men ready to handle whatever we throw at them, including a dowsing from the Lord's sprinkler system. Uh, hello, gents. How was the first test of the summer for you? Wet. Very wet. Um, <laughs> only, only when the spring was turned on. It was all right, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> you know, I, I was pretty down on it in the, in the build-up and over the first couple of days. I thought it lived down to pretty much every everything that could have possibly go could have possibly gone wrong from an Ireland perspective did go wrong. Really, they didn't bat well enough the first innings, and then they got properly basballed. Well, actually, not even properly basballed because you know, they were sort of first second gear basketball they still went at six and a half and over <laughs> I mean it, it showcased everything that is wrong with the inequality in test cricket and the fact that Lords can still pack out a ground like that for a non-event I, as I wrote in one of my pieces I felt that rather lent into what is wrong with test cricket at the moment it's, it's all very well the money being pumped into it it's fine, people still turn up to it, people still willing to pay through the nose, albeit slightly less for the Ireland effect. But it was deeply and horribly uncompetitive. And then Ireland turned up the last day and had a bit of a day of it. It was, it was quite fun on the third day, so it was all right. Um, but there's, there's an awful lot that's not right. And uh, I guess an Ashes preview pod isn't the time to delve too deeply into that because it's all rah-rah, Ashes is the main event, the pinnacle, all the rest of it. Uh, but, you know, if you can't worry about the future of the game when it's a nomadic Ireland team who effectively played their first test in four years, albeit they played three recently in, in Bangladesh. <laughs> You're writing off those. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they played those essentially as warm-ups. They would not have bothered to play those games if they didn't have a Lord's test coming up. You know, they, they, they wanted to make sure they would put on the best bib and tucker to walk through the long room, and fair play to them for that. But um, it doesn't exactly cover over the structural faults uh, that ran clean through that contest. And um, so for that reason... I, it's hard to get too excited about demolishing them in, in not much more than two and a half days. Although I did think the fact that it was a Lord's Test, the fact, as Millis said, that there were so many people there, it was almost about raising awareness for Ireland's plight. You know, Jester Oil couldn't quite get on the field, but Ireland did. And so everyone who watched <laughs> that game would probably leave wondering, why well, Ireland not playing as well as, we, you know, maybe otherwise they did four years ago? You know, what, what's been going on with them? So at the very least, they might leave that game and look up what it is that, Ireland are actually dealing with and then come across you know the disparity with ICC pay and things like that so for that reason alone I think it was worthwhile but yeah we'll see how that pans out. Yeah after two days Ireland were looking squiffier than an MCC member on the Chateau Neuf de Pape uh, they showed some belated batting fortitude on the Saturday to make England work for it uh, and in the end they were licked by tongue but uh, we'll revisit some of those individual performances um, not least Josh Tongue's five from debut but given everything uh, as Miller's already mentioned in English cricket at the moment is currently ashes flavoured I think we should get straight on to the news that emerged uh, 24 hours after the game was wrapped up at Lords, that of a backstress fracture ruling Jack Leach out of the series. Um, Leach experienced symptoms of the problem during the test and subsequent scan picked up a fracture. Uh, this is obviously, Miller, 
a bolt from the blue um, and presents quite an obstacle for England to get around before they rock up at Edgbaston, largely because there's no straightforward like-for-like -like replacement here. There really isn't, although, the, I mean, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because Leach, in many ways, is, embodies the myth of Basball. He is, if you drill down into the figures... The myth of Basball? Well, uh, I mean, as the creator of Basball, you can call Basel, it such. You know, Basball has become, become something far greater than I could ever have envisaged. <laughs> I threw it, it into the ether in this pod. But, but the point is, it's all a mind game. And nobody has embraced that mind game more wholeheartedly than Jack Leach, who frankly wasn't really, uh, he wasn't really secure of his place at all. You know, he kept being left out for all-team attacks and never really looked like bowling sides out in the fourth innings in the conventional way that a spinner might. All, everything that was wrong with English spin was embodied in the fact that Jack Leach was the best English spinner available and well, we've got to, got to make do with him. And then suddenly you end up with a situation where he's, he's, he's basically, well, thanks to him showing Ben Stokes up close and personal at Headingley four years ago that he's got the ticker required to, to be his man, that one odd out has basically meant that, that Stokes and he have got this bond forevermore. And every time there's a, there, there's a pressure... It's like, Jack Leach, you are still my man. Look me in the eye, you are still my man. And it's like, you know, famous stories about, you know, can we drop my long off back? No, you bloody can't. Keep your man up, get him the hole out, and, you know, he ends up taking a tenver or whatever it was at, at Trent Bridge. Mm. But, you know, if you drill down to his figures, his average under Stokes is worse than it was prior, prior to this. His economy rate under Stokes is worse than it was previously. And I think even his strike rate. There is nothing to look at, at, at the figures in isolation that makes you think that Leach is integral to England's, England's plans. But if you look at how England have got around him and said, you know what, you're our man, you are the guys who have to keep bowling when we need to give our seamers a break. doesn't matter if you get hit, just do your thing, get a wicket or two and you've done your job. And that's literally, literally what he's done. So the problem for England now is not so much replacing Leach, it's finding someone to come in and immediately immerse themselves in everything that Leach has learnt about the art of being a basketball spinner, essentially. And so, obviously, the first person they want to call up is Moeen Ali, because Moeen Ali is, you know, there are two guys, I would say, who are absolutely have the basketball ethos running through them and haven't played it yet, Moeen Ali and Joss Butler. It looks like Joss Butler's ship has sailed, obvious reasons he's got far too much on his plate as England's white ball skipper and World Cup winning skipper you know, and, and, and franchise hero and all the rest of it but Moeen I mean Moeen you know he's been he's been twiddling his thumbs at CSK I mean he, I think, what, he batted once got nine <laughs> on out and didn't bowl in in the last three IPL years. champion I mean, Moeen Ali this is uh... seriously Stokes was saying he was he was he was CSK's John Terry I mean I don't I, I, you know Vish would have a better better analogy of someone on David a, May David May there we go yeah. uh, you actually took, took the field but did absolutely nothing and, I'm not sure he quite jumped to the top of the celebration. Uh, you know, Moeen is the obvious person to slot in because Moeen Ali playing in the style that you would like to see Moeen Ali play and has done previously. And, you know, the summer of 2018, Moeen was batting at eight and, and playing with freedom and, and being a match winner for England. So if, if, if Stokes, again, looks him in the eye and, and makes that connection and thinks, you know what, you're up for this, aren't you? And Mo says, yeah, I'm up for it. Then bring it on. England actually can upgrade. Yeah, I mean, the, the Moeen momentum is is building, Vish. Uh, we could be overtaken by events here, and by the time we walk out the studio, find out he's turned it down. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, it's, it seems um, very much like, uh, as Miller said, uh, Moeen's sort of approach to the game would fit into the way England are playing. 
uh, McCullum asked him about a comeback last summer when they were going to Pakistan. And and Moeen has always been a sort of confidence player. But, uh, uh, you know, if he's going to come back in, England are going to pump up his tyres. I'm, I'm going to quote Miller from uh, last the last pod we did, uh, talking about Ben Folkes, when he said that... that, that Basball was about being the best version of yourself, finding the extra percent inside your confidence, your self-belief, uh, to show us what you've got. There we go. I mean, Moeen finding the, the, the best version of himself would actually be quite a handy Philip for England, uh, you'd think, this summer. Well, you know, just to riff off what Miller's just said about Jack Leach, you know, things about the average, I suppose, let's throw in the economy rate as well. I mean, that was Moen's career, wasn't it? <laughs> Bear in mind that he was essentially brought in primarily as a wicket taker and for those runs lower down the order. And it got to a stage where England were picking other bowlers ahead of him just so Moen could stick to that role. Do you remember Liam Dawson's yeah. test career, essentially, is based on the fact that they had to he, put someone else in the number one spinner role so Moen could bowl like the number two spinner. Um, Liam Dawson, who I, I personally think England should is, should is look a candidate at here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the other thing with with Moeen and what will help him in terms of um, the way that they've worked with Leach is someone who's a bit firmer with his fields and says, "No, you're not having someone drop back there. Just bowl, mate. We don't care. We don't care about the runs." No one's ever really <laughs> said that to Moeen. You know, a lot of the you know a lot of the way that we've di- we have previously dissected Moeen's performances with the red ball is we look at economy rate and we look at wickets. Because often when the wickets aren't there, that's the, we point to the economy rate as a thing that's a problem. And Stokes has taken that out. And even Jack Leach at the end of, um, you know, during Pakistan, when there was that point where it looked like he might finish as the leading wicket taker in test cricket in, in 2022. He said it's funny, actually, because obviously I, I look at the wickets, but I'm also like trying to convince myself not to turn and look at the averages. Because that, he was like, you know, that's 47 in some places. You know, that's galling. But obviously they don't want me to look at that, so why, why should I care? It's not affecting my performance here. Um, so it is, it is very exciting. The only thing I worry about, though, is Jack Leach is actually one of the things he's done really well on the field, takeovers away from everyone else. He bought, mm. He's bowled almost 200 more overs than any bowler since the start of McCullum and Stokes' era. He's the only bowler to have played all 13 tests in that time. And so as much as they talk about him being this, you know, I suppose, you know, the heart and soul of the dressing room, McCullum even, you know, before this Island test spoke about how he's great at like cutting through, cutting through the tension with his one-liners. I'll be honest, we've interviewed him a few times. I'm still waiting for one of them. <laughs> but there is obviously something about his comfort within that room that they are going to lose as well as those overs in the field. Yeah, as, as you say, he's he's played all thirteen tests. Um, the the raw numbers aren't overly grabbing, uh, forty five wickets at thirty eight point two two. But but England have found this way to play around him. Miller, the the other options we've, we've talked about, Moeen, who's who's you know rapidly shot to the front of everyone's kind of wish list there, um, and understandably so. But Rayan Ahmed was uh, Rayan Ahmed was the last uh, spinner other than uh, Leach to get picked in the side. I mean, he's still 18 years old, perhaps perhaps too young. Liam Dawson um, has taken a few wickets for Hampshire, has been in many an England squad, wouldn't let anyone down, would perhaps strengthen the batting as well. Don Bess has been uh, around the side before. Um, and then there's also the option of playing another Seymour and making Joe Root do all the donkey work. Well, but, Will, Will Jacks as well. Uh, Will, Will Jacks, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. and Liam Livingston. There, there are there are almost too, too many options. You know, there are various ways they could cut this. Um, I mean, if if Moeen isn't available, where do you think they go? So if he if he isn't available, 
I think the the idea of playing four seamers and having using route, I'm not convinced they'll go that route simply because Stokes is adamant he's going to play his part as a seamer, and therefore he's going to do it. And they, they, having five <laughs> seamers is too much, and not having a spinner is not enough because clearly, from the way he's used Leach, he values you know that guy who can just bowl several overs and mm. give people a break because that is the, that's the crucial thing. You know, if if Stokes' knee goes and they don't have a spinner, then suddenly you're breaking all of the, all of your four fast bowlers, and it's going to be the four best ones for that first test. You break them all in one go, one fell swoop. So that's not ideal either. So for me, I think it comes down to choice between the two extremes of what's left, which is Rayhan Armin on the one hand and Liam Dawson on the other. Um, to they're not they are almost to be fair complete opposite ends of the spectrum in every single sense uh, but to cover off Ray and Ahmed first and foremost here's a guy who was given his debut at Karachi threw himself into it bowled some horrible long hops but got back to keep going through it and then suddenly turns up with his belting fifer on the final day playing like a god and then comes out and night hawks it I mean what a perfect way to just say you know what we're not fussed because a lot, a lot of this game coming back to the confidence trick of basketball England need to project the fact they're not they're not worried about this situation. Now, if this was any other Ashes or any other series for that matter, and England were going in with doubts about Jimmy, doubts about Ollie Robinson, doubts about their leading spinner, doubts about their captain Stokes, and doubts about their opening batsman, it'd be absolute panic by now, absolute chaos, absolute ah, we're <laughs> lost already. But England are projecting this such an air of confidence that I can almost see them saying, you know what, give it to Rayan. Let's have an eighteen-year-old. Let's have a good good news story. Go on, toss it up, bowl some filth if you like, but bowl some absolute magic. Get Steve Smith out on the first day of the, of the, of the series with an utter ripper and then see who, who, who feels like Shane Warnesque, first ball that he's bowled Precisely. in the Ashes. Oh, can you imagine it's it? Precisely. <laughs> that, that, and then, you know, even if he doesn't come in as a Nighthawk, he's still a number eight. Rayhan Ahmed coming at number eight. That'd be hilarious. Life is absolutely let loose. 30 years after the ball of the century, yeah. the man who uh, Warney picked to uh, go on and have a fruitful test career. So, I'm, all, I'm all in. I was Team Mo, and now I'm Team This. Yeah. But you're also a, a Dawes Dog fan, is this fair to say? Yeah, well, I mean, I don't think Liam Dawson is that defensive a pick. Bear in mind that, you know, I think he's the leading English qualified uh, spinner in the country, which, with all those caveats, definitely doesn't mean as much as it should. But I think only Jack Carson in Division 2 has, has his nine wickets, and he, you know, he plays on flat tracks. And I think people forget that he is a very accomplished spin bowler, because he's a very accomplished middle order batter, and I also think he's he's used to bowling long spells. He bowls the majority of Hampshire's spin overs, you know, throughout the years. It's one of the reasons Mason Crane is is often twiddling his thumbs between you know the start of the season and the start of the blast. But I really think he's he's someone who can carry over those overs probably more than Moeen actually. Maybe not as bold as many magic deliveries, but bear in mind Moeen was dropped after the first Ashes Test. For starters, he doesn't have a good record against Australia, but he was dropped after the first Ashes Test because... In, in 2019, this is... Yeah, in 2019. Um, because, you know, he was, I suppose in some ways, like mentally a bit shot. Um, cl- clearly, Australia have something that he can't quite <coughs> get his head around, you know, certainly after that 2015 series where he did quite well. And there's the finger as well. His spinning finger has always been an issue. The idea between behind going to white ball cricket was you bowl for your overs. He, um, you know... Our very own Matt Roller spoke to him out in the IPL and he said that, actually, I think my bowling suffered a bit over the last couple of years. It's getting better during the IPL, but 
see how it goes. So, um, personally, I would, you know, I'd go for Moeen. For, the heart says Moeen, but the head says Liam Dawson. Put it that way. Yeah, I don't think about Dawson is the because he's so experienced and he has been there and thereabouts for so much. I think he can be what he needs to be in that team. I think it, you know you can you can accuse him of being boring or having no personality or whatever, but he's a blank slate. And you know he he was he was thrown in to an Ash, to a World Cup squad in 2019. You know they were they were fanning around with Joe Denley trying to trying to make him into the the, the, the third spinner in that setup, and they decided no, this is daft. Let's go for Dawson. And then there he was, the travelling reserve for the T20 World Cup, having not played in the in the T20 team for, for years, or until until the Pakistan tour. So you know he's a he's a guy who can be what they need him to be uh, on the big occasion. So he would be the the conservative option, but not necessarily a conservative player, if you see what I mean. Uh, speaking of back knack, uh, Miller is a man who can sympathise with Jack Leach and he has gone to uh, lie down in a darkened room for a bit. So, Vish, the next bit's on you. Uh, the Ireland test might not live long in the memory. Ireland themselves, who head to Zimbabwe uh, for the World Cup qualifier later this week, have probably already forgotten about it. But there were some noteworthy contributions to the history books and the honours board, uh, nevertheless. Um, uh, let's start with Josh Tung, even though he was the player that finished it. Uh, England have, have pulled another seamer out of nowhere, it seems. Yeah, well, I mean, out of nowhere being county cricket, um, <laughs> which to them is out of nowhere, because you know, if you look at the way the, the ECB and various other England regimes have acted when they've come across fast bowlers, their first port of call is, right, um, get them on a contract so we can look after them. We don't trust them with you. Um, and Josh Tong's very different because he has been at Worcestershire his whole life. He was solely on Worcestershire when he... Uh, was out of the game for about 13, 14 months between 2021 and 2022 with an undiagnosed shoulder issue, which thankfully by the end they did diagnose it and they did treat it. And I think he took them all by surprise, actually. It was only really on the Lions tour to Sri Lanka that they were really aware of just how good he was. I think people at Worcester thought he was very good, knew that he had a high ceiling, but because he was their player. I don't think anyone really looked at it and thought, oh, okay, there's something, there's something to work with here. Or certainly there's someone who's going to play international cricket for England. Um, on that Lions tour, he got um, his cap from Rob Key, who was there watching the rest of the game. That was when he took his five wickets on debut there. And yeah, he's kind of been on the radar with Mo Bobart and uh, David Court, who's the lead idea at the ECB. And really they were forced into it, weren't they? Because because of Joffre's injury, because of Ollie Stone's unavailability, because of Jamie Overton's injury, because they couldn't necessarily just throw a, you know, throw, throw a game in there for Ollie Robinson or Anderson. I think it was always going to be the case that Mark Wood was, was going to miss out. But, yeah, they've, they've done... Well, I mean, Josh Tung has done, done very well. And the fact that he was... I know that it was always going to be the same squad when they announced the Ashes squad for the first two tests during day three of that island test. But, I mean, it was noteworthy that it was 16 people because you know, he's obviously made a big enough impression that he's in there. And also, importantly, Wally Pope mentioned that he felt like he's been around for ages when the people I spoke to at Worcestershire were actually quite curious to see how he would do in the group. Because I think if there was a, a normal introduction where he was there at the start of the week when they began that prep, it's like, oh, here's a new debutant. Mm -hmm. When you come in midway through, there's, an, uh, there's probably an element of God, do they actually want me here? Like, you know, will I feel part of the group? And he's certainly um, quite a shy fella. But it sounds like he's he's taken to everything 
really well and they're very impressed by how he carries himself. So, yeah, England have found one, but, you know, credit to the county championship as well. Yeah, they've, they've been losing them, so they needed to, to, to find yeah. an, another one for the stable. Um, I mean, he was, of course, added to the squad because Ollie Robinson was walking around in a moon boot yeah. sort of 10 days ago uh, at Hove. Um, uh, we know about Jimmy's, uh, Jimmy's minor groin strain, which Jimmy Anson, uh, I mean, we're expecting both those, Anson and Robinson, to be fit for Edge Baston. And I suppose uh, they wouldn't tell us otherwise, would they? Well, <laughs> yes, there is that. And, it, and, it, and the squad that, uh, that was announced um, does have seven fast bowlers in it. Um, we've talked about the, the, the conundrum of what to do with no leech. But, I mean, they could re replace the island at attack entirely. So we had, had Broad, uh, Potts, Matt Potts, played his first test since last summer, uh, and Josh Tung made his debut. We could have Anderson, Robinson and Wood lining up at Edge Baston. Um, and, and how England, uh, how Stokes and McCullum manage, you know, that stable of seamers, um, even more so now, I suppose, with, with mm. the uncertainty over the spinner, is going to be key to the series, you'd think. Yeah, I also think... Um I wonder if they left Lords with a different view on how they should play at that, you know, specifically on those pitches in the middle, which have been relayed. And it felt mm. like they went flatter than expected on day three. And maybe the ball, despite the fact they've been talking about the 2023 Dukes ball, it is a vast improvement on 2022 by the sound of it. I don't think it's back to where it was in 2019, which was, I think I'm right in saying 2018's Duke's ball, if you're still following this at home. Because they asked. <laughs> I, think, I think you're right. Because yeah. they started with 2019's Duke's ball, and then they asked them if they could remanufacture what Make they the used batch. against India yeah. in 2018. Um, so I think there's, there's still a bit there, which might mean that actually they might have to go out and outpace, despite what the overheads say at Lords, which then. You know, if you're working backwards, are they necessarily going to go in with, with Wood, the mm. only express fastball at their disposal, into Edgbaston? Personally, I think they should just pick you, you pick your first string attack for that first game, mm -hmm. get something on the board. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting because with Leach out, then does suddenly Broad come back in? Because personally, if they were going to go three, I would go with the three that you, you named, that Anderson, Robinson and Wood. But then at the same time, Stuart Broad believes that he is despite the fact that he talked about maybe a month ago how he can, you know, uh, kick into gear the flick of the switch, he's now talking about, well, I feel in the great groove at the moment. You don't want to ruin this, do you? <laughs> so I think he's got eyes for Edgerson as well. And Verdoux, he bowled very well in that Ireland first innings. And it looks like all the tools he talked about, what, there wasn't as much kidology there as we, as we expected. Because if, you know, if you look at the, um, the analysis of how he bowled and... There was a bit of shape away. There was that outswing. The outswing we saw a little the bit of that from the Balboni <laughs> wicket. So the secret weapon. Yeah, I, I'm I'm always reticent not to go without a spinner, and I, I don't, you know Joe Root is not a spinner um, because Joe Root doesn't bowl consistently enough to bowl wicket-taking balls. If that makes sense, I think every now and again he stumbles upon something. I don't think he knows what he does <laughs> in the same way that Leach would be like, oh, okay, it's it drifted this way because I've imparted a bit more, and that's the error I need to hit. So I'd be a little bit wary of going in without a spinner. And also because, you know, that fourth bowler doesn't necessarily split those overs evenly if you end up going through two mm. new balls. So um, I'm inclined to say that Broad sits this one out despite what, um, what he says. And they go with whoever they do end up picking as a spinner. Um, I mean, you, you sort of mentioned this, uh, but the, the kind of 
the request for fast and flat pitches, which uh, you know is the, is the baseball uh, preference. Uh, Stokes has kind of mentioned this, but in England, does that often just translate as slow and flat? Yeah, I, well, I mean, there's also talk about the boundaries as well. Um, when yeah. I interviewed Stuart Broad at Lords, he said that one of the things that had been mentioned was bringing the boundaries in. Um, and I suppose the very nature of that then, you know, from the scorecard at least, makes you think the pitch was flat, doesn't it? So I don't know if, mm -hmm. I don't know if, that's, if, if flat pitches was a broader term yeah. for, you know, we just want a lot of runs. Um, but, there, but there is something in that, especially, I mean... It was something that was articulated at the time when this story first came up about Stokes' request, I think in that interview with, with Nasser on Sky. Australia have a better attack. Like fundamentally, Australia have a, certainly a quicker attack that is able to bang the ball in and dig a little bit you know, deeper beyond the surface to extract a bit more out of the pitch. So, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how, um, how it pans out come Edgbaston. But um, I think by and large, they've got exactly what they wanted. And the batters look in... Certainly, the ones we saw looking mm. in pretty good nick. I was going to say uh, there, there probably will have been a bit bit of pause about the the um, struggles they had against Ireland's number eight and number nine, albeit on a, on a flat uh, day three surface and you know the sun blazing overhead. But onto the batters, I mean, w the, there were there were a lot of runs scored at a very quick rate, not not uber bad ball as um, as Miller. Um, referred to but uh, noteworthy nonetheless I mean Ollie Pope's highest test score um, a maiden double hundred uh, uh, 207 balls double hundred so uh, you know <laughs> pretty quick lick um, and Ben Duckett the fastest Lords 150 I think yes, um, yeah. I mean it, it, whoever the opposition it's always good to go into uh, a big series on the back of a big innings yeah and it felt like you know, both those innings felt like business to a point because there weren't particularly big celebrations despite the big milestones. You know, it was Ben Duckett's first test at home as well and to rack off 100 mm. in the way that he had basically racked off 100 against Middlesex, which he seemed to celebrate with a lot more gusto than, than he did this one, to be fair, because that was his first 100 at Lords in any Red Bull cricket. Um, but, it, yeah, it feels like they're, they're tuning up. Duckett just seems incredibly settled. I think he's basically the person they originally wanted Crawley to be um, and he's doing that to age. obviously he'll be challenged by better bowlers but who wouldn't Crawley's the interesting one though he looked pretty tidy threw away a three figure score like undoubtedly um, scored a lot through the inside edge and it's just about whether he can hold on to any of that in an Ashes he's one of those people that Australia don't have to worry about and yet at the same time when he comes off there is an element of confidence throughout that team that, oh, this might be the day. And even if it's only 50 against Australian attack, it's going to make a profound difference to how they might approach things. Because it will probably just annoy Australia's bowlers that someone who has played so poorly is getting a score against them. <laughs> and I suppose that's basically what he is at this point. You know, he's just, you know, he's just this weird cavalier little thing that, like, if he comes off, he comes off. If he doesn't, oh, we don't care about that. So I don't know why you're having a go at us. So, um... Yeah, I think the only issue, I think, is it would have been nice to see Brooke have a bit of time in the middle after not playing much in the, <coughs> at the back end of the IPL. And Bairstow maybe, having, almost having that kind of homecoming, quote-unquote. Like, I think it would have been quite cool to get him out there, get him back in that environment with that, with that crowd and hit a few shots. I th just think for his own mindset as well, that would have been beneficial. But 
other than that, I could, you know, I think they played it quite well. They were quite professional. Did the job, got the score they wanted, pulled out and, um, you know, won the test, which is the most important thing. Well, as Stokes said, this is the the new way, um, and yeah, they've got plenty of golf plans, so they'll be fine. We, we might, in fact, come on to um, the Australian view of Zach Crawley's uh, form and, and uh, likely influence on the destination of the urn. Um, we've heard a lot about pinnacle events recently, courtesy of, of Ireland leaving out Josh Little for Lords. Arguably, the real pinnacle event is happening this week as a prelude to the Ashes. Um, time then to bring on the warm-up act, uh, a, a switch it legend and honorary Aussie, uh, we won't hold that against him, Andrew Nasher McGlashan is here, uh, the World Test Championship final is here, uh, let's have a big hand. <laughs> <laughs> yes, in this very impressive studio. It is, um, it is, yeah, well, yes, it's a heck of a warm-up match, isn't it? To an Ashes, this week, coming up over the next um, five days to crown the the best test team, or will it be the best test team? The loser won't say, will say it won't matter. It doesn't mean anything. A one-off game, the winner will say it's worthy reward for two years of hard work. Um, it should be a fascinating five days, and no doubt, from an English perspective, and like those English journalists um, who are there, we sensed it in the warm-up days, practice days as well, and that everything is leading towards day one at Eshbaston, the questions, the themes, makeup of the team, what does it mean, how are you going to play, what do you think of baseball, uh, and all those things. Pat Cummins fielded a couple of those questions um, today, Steve Smith did yesterday. Um, but in its sense, it's, it should, should be a terrific test match. You've got two very good teams. Um, I think Australia will go in as favourites. Um, they have, I think, fewer question marks on how they structure a team for these conditions. They've got three frontline quicks. They've got a, an emerging world-class all-rounder in Cameron Green, and they've got a, a gun spinner who's approaching 500 test wickets in Nathan Lyons. So they tick a lot of boxes in the bowling attack, and we maybe come back to that in relation to the Ashes in a minute. And then and then their top order, barring the big question mark, which is David Warner, um, is very settled. And they have two guys who average 60 at number three and number four. They have a guy who preceded Basball by playing Travball at number five. <laughs> um, and you've got the great comeback story of Usman Khawaja, who has just become this wonderful test match opener. Um, and you've got a pretty solid keeper bat at number seven, Alex Carey. So it feels like they don't have too many holes there. India have a few more questions over how they balance their side. But um, it is going to be fascinating to see how they're, how they're going leading into, into the Ashes. Um, they haven't talked about it, obviously, as a warm-up game, but... It will have some impact over how they go running into Edge Bass. It's only four days in between. Um, so, yeah, um, it, it really will be interesting. And, of course, everything leads to that first ball on June 16th. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, you, you've, you've said it there. The, the, <laughs> the World Championship final uh, will um, be... I mean, in Indian eyes, is the main thing happening in the English summer, uh, I'm sure. Uh, and, it's, and it's a bit of a grudge match. Australia um, have, I think, lost their last four series against well, India. Arguably, so, well, certainly in terms of eyeballs, it's, it's a bigger rivalry now than the Ashes, in a sense. I mean, it, it's interesting to have the two did so close together. <laughs> the two teams obviously met back in February and March out in India as well. Um, Pat Cummins said today in his press conference, he's clearly been briefed about this. I don't think it was a thought he had off the top of his head, but this could be the most watched test match ever of all time. Now, they love throwing numbers around on mm. the TV people that's going to be watched by a billion people or a trillion <laughs> people around the world or whatever, yeah. and we'll never quite know the truth. But Australia-India, for both on and off field reasons, is a is a huge tussle now. And obviously, when you throw in England as well to, to that mix, it is the three powerhouses of whatever the international game is going to look like 
Yes, the well, it gone. used to be the big three. Now it's obviously well, just as, a, as, just as, a... the, as the ECB CEO said the other day, mm-hmm. that's just a big one. Now, <laughs> the big which one has concerning ramifications, I think, to, to the future of the game. But um, yes, I, I, yeah, I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the, you've just arrived. You've been in, in the country yeah. a few days. The Australian sense of it back home. I mean, it, are, are they more concerned about being ranked, crowned the number one test team? in the world, or is it about winning the Ashes here for the first time in 22 years? Yeah, it's the Ashes. I mean, I don't think beyond those real hardcore cricket fans, those of us who cover, so those of us who cover the game, the real hardcore cricket fans, um, really maybe even aware that Australia play India tomorrow in a test match. I mean, there'll be, there'll be a bit more awareness now that it will have been on the news a bit back in Australia and things, and the build-up has, has begun, but there's certainly an awareness that an Ashes campaign was coming up. Um, and there'll be huge interest in that. So yes, I think they, I think well, they had to make a decision. They trade off the win at the Oval uh, this week for winning the Ashes here for the first time since since two thousand and one. It was interesting actually um, today. Pat Cummins um, just about latched on to the question of what does this next two months mean for this Australian team? Because without going into it in great detail, it, it, it is on paper. Basically, the argument is: it a very good side or is it a great side? And they didn't quite get over the line in India. Um, they've now got these two events here in close succession. And the feeling is that they probably need to take them both to kind of leave a legacy of this generation of Australian test team, which is going to start to break up over the next couple of years. We've already seen David Warner map out his end point. Mm. Usman Khawaja is the same age. The bowling attacks all in that early to mid-30s <coughs> range. Um, so this is their chance to leave something for what has been a very good era of Test cricket, and they are a very good Test team, um, to actually have something actually to show for it, rather than, I say, just the home series, uh, the, the few series wins they've they, they've clocked up. So it's a, on, on a bigger scale as well of how this Australian team was remembered. It's a big two months. Um, they're a pretty settled side. I mean, you've kind of gone through, the, the, given us the, the run-through there, in, this, in the sense... In the, in the sense that this, the World Test Championship final, does impact on the Ashes. I mean, Josh Hazelwood has been ruled out of that game, uh, perhaps with a with a view to playing Edgbaston. Um, are we expecting, or are you expecting, uh, that that full strength pace attack to, to play? You know, as many of the tests as they can. I know Cummins has said he wants to play all six tests on on this tour. Um, and is there? Are you sort of envisaging the likes of Michael Nisa and, and Sean Abbott potentially even to come into the mix? Potentially Michael Nisa, yes. I mean, he's been added to the squad for this Test Championship. He's effectively part of the squad for the first two Ashes Tests <coughs> as well now. What they'll be less of this time is that Horses for Courses selection they went for in 2019, um, where they kind of overthought it by the end and picked a very strange attack for the Oval, which allowed England to level it at 2-2. Um, and they left feeling that was a missed opportunity. That series. Of course, there was the famous Headingley result as well, but that coupled with the Oval... Um, they left feeling, yeah, we've got the urn back, but we should have won that series. So um, the interesting thing about the Australian attack now is is around this Josh Hazelwood situation. He's played four tests in the last uh, three years, basically. Um, can't string back-to-back games together at the moment, coming off an Achilles problem, which he dragged into the IPL, then had some sort of side issue leading into this tour. Um but the point being is that effectively Scott Boland is Australia's fourth quick bowler right now. And, we, and Vish talked earlier about, well, you two talked earlier about England's seven quicks in their, in their squad for the first two tests. Um, 
Australia's fast bowling depth looks pretty solid. When you've got Scott Boland, and I know it's a skewed sample size, but who averages 13 in test cricket, and there was a game for a couple of seasons to see if he could keep that below 10 after his 6-7 for seven at the MCG. There's an argument to say that Scott Boland should be in that first three anyway now. Uh, he isn't, I don't think, because back in the Australian summer when Josh Hazelwood came back from an injury, he slotted straight back in the team. The wording of what they've been talking about in the last 48 hours is that Josh Hazelwood will be fit for Edge Baston, meaning he will play mm. Edge Baston. So Stark, Cummins, Hazelwood goes back to you. Because, you know, there's nothing. Hazelwood, 222 wickets at 25. He's a damn fine bowler. Just wondering whether his body is up to what he's become in a way. And I, I needs a deeper dive into it. But it's interesting that this has come at a time when he's becoming, he's excelled as a, a T20 white ball cricketer, which, is, which has affected his calendar. He has spoken about preparation, loading up, as the fastballs like to say, to be ready. For Test Cricket, the medics, or the medicos, as I should say, being from Australia, are reluctant to pin it on that, partly because it doesn't look great, perhaps, for them. But it's hard to see that there isn't something there that links the two. And it'll be interesting to see how many tests Josh Hazelwood plays. I'd be surprised if he plays back-to-back tests in this tour. But when you have Scott Boland as that fourth quick, that's that's a terrific luxury. And then you've got Michael Nisa, who I know a few journalists in the press box would love to see get a game, a couple of good (laughs) friends of ours who would, would love... Uh, an online campaign to finally come through and Nisa must play. Um, uh, and, then, and then Sean Abbott, who, who actually is a, is, a, is a very similar cricketer to Michael Nisa, and I think doesn't get the acclaim or the talk he sometimes should get. I think he's a very fine cricketer, Sean Abbott. Certainly would fit in well to conditions here in England. So, and then you go back to Nathan Lyon again, who's got 500, nearly 500 test wickets. Even if Jack Leach had been fit, you match up Jack Leach and Nathan Lyon, you've got to say that Nathan Lyon is, is a significantly better spinner um, than Jack Leach. So, um, but is he a significantly better spinner than Moeen Ali? Well, well, yeah. I mean, yes, yes he is. Yes, he is. Yeah. The answer is the same. He said yeah. he likes bowling to Moeen Ali, so I don't yes, think Nathan yeah. Lyon would mind Moeen Ali slotting back. Might him. help him on his way to 500. Well, might pull you up a couple of test matches. Um, so it feels as though, and obviously the way England injuries have gone in the last couple of weeks, it feels as though there's fewer issues for Australia to confront that doesn't mean that this series is going to go well for them, but I don't. I don't think they're. I put it. I don't think they're overly concerned about things that aren't actually in their control going into the Ashes. By that I mean they can't control how England play. They've just got to react to it. And I don't think at the moment they're overly worried about it. Next, you're going to be saying they're not. They're not fearful of being basballed. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, this is one for kind of both of you, I suppose. But um, this is. Pretty much uh, the most hyped series uh, since 2005 here. Um, I thought you were going to say since the last Ashes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that too. Um, and there's a sense that it, you know it could be one of those defining contests, just partly because of the quality of the, the Australia side. He hasn't won here since 2001. Obviously, England's style of play. The build-up's been quite friendly so far, I think. I mean, David Warner almost uh, had a had a pot shot at Stuart Broad. And, you know, and then he called him a good be, bloke. Whether he'd be in the side. Yeah, I mean, is all this sort of um, politeness mainly because India, the India uh, game, the World Championship final, is in the way, and once that's out, you know, it will be gloves off? Or are we in a new era of, of Ash's uh, uh, engagement? I don't think we're in a new era. I think <laughs> what we're in is the end of two eras, really, aren't we, on either side? A lot said about T20 cricket and the way it's brought, um, you know, two two rival teams, specifically the players, together in various competitions. But like, to be honest, I think they've played. We've had so many Ashes series over the last, you know, ten years that they've just they've just ended up playing a lot against each other. 
And I think we're in a situation where I think they, they acknowledge that this is probably the to bastardize uh, and often now bastardized phrase. Um, this is the last dance for a few of them um, with each other. Um, and I think there is an acknowledgement of that because the one with that broad isn't the same as, you know, the broad ashes, as it were, uh, water with that broad even. Um, Jimmy's anger is often, served, you know, saved for the big players, but primarily saved for for Australia. Um, Steve Smith and England has been a long drawn out thing, not least because it was that test at the Oval that seemed to start this incredible upward trend on for him as a exclusively as a batter. And I think there, they, you know, they. Stuart Broad had an interesting comment because he talked about um, at the end of the 2021-2022, uh, uh, sorry, 2021-2022 Ashes, yeah, um, he had a glass of wine with David Warner because they both thought that would be the last time they played each other and now they have this. And I think because of that, there is a bit more Bon Homie here. There's also an element, um, I think Australia, and obviously it's something that started post-ball tampering, but I think in the last couple of years under Pat Cummings as well, they are a less confrontational team now. And I think Pat Cummins has taken that to, to another, another level, so much so that he's ridiculed for some ridiculous things back in Australia for caring about things like the planet and other people. Very un-Australian. Well, some of the editorials and pieces you see in one or two of the newspapers over in Australia is, is just extraordinary when it comes to, to, to Pat Cummins. But there is a... So I think coupled with the fact that some of them know they're coming towards the latter part of their careers. I think there's also, they just play in a slightly different way. And I know it's, it's one that really riles some of the former players. I noticed this week, Alan Border was in the media again, going that they're not playing hard enough. And this came up during the India tour, that they, the reason they lost in Delhi and lost nine for 48, they didn't play with hard enough noses. They weren't hard nosed enough against That India. is the best way to play spin. Well, I mean, and so... Um, with your face. So there is, some people are struggling to like this current Australian test team because they're not the mongrel, they're not the AB sort of like mentality or even Steve Waugh or kind of the, the teams that go even the team pre-Sandpaper gate where it all fell apart the, the way they were playing. Um, I mean, they can they can switch it on when they need to in the middle. They, they can play tough cricket. They've won test matches in Pakistan, Sri Lanka and India in this cycle, which is why they're in the final. And that's a pretty good trio of away test wins to get. And you don't do that by being soft. So, um, but I just think Outwardly, they're a bit more mellow. I mean, there was an interview by Mitchell Stark today, actually a really good long read on the Cricket Australia website um, about everything he has been through in the last few, few years with the death of his father and things like that. And one of the quotes that comes out of it is talking about how he, how he sort of takes on the media criticism. And he is still a bit of a lightning rod for that in Australia. There'd be some who think he shouldn't play the start of this Ashes series. But he goes a couple of years ago, I would have taken that to heart, but now I'm in a much better place. And if they want to have a go at me, that, that, that's fine. So there's a sense that some of the players themselves have matured. They've got bigger things in life now. They have a life away from cricket. So to go back to the original point, I think that's just softened the edges a little bit around this. And also some of the pre-Ashes talk gets sillier every two years, really, doesn't it? I mean, it is like, come on, guys, think of something new if we're going to do this every time. Um, so but I think apart from that, look, what will be interesting is if there are flashpoints in the middle during these five tests. And the great thing about a five test series is that they can and will emerge. Yeah. I don't think there'll be a, I don't think it will be an incident free series. I suspect they'll stay in the middle though. If they do happen, I don't think they'll spill off into off field dressing room incidents and things like that. 
Yeah, and I suppose when that happens, a lot of the reason it does spill over is because of what we do, because we ask them, what happened out there? And then someone will give us something and then we'll put it to the person who's in the press conference the next time. They'll be like, oh, he said that about me. And it's like, well, you know, we're just reporting here. You know, nothing to do with us. Um, what they'll do is they'll do what, what always happens. They'll just go for, Australia will go for Harry Brook. This is how I see it panning out. Australia will go for Harry Brook. Stokes will see that and be like, why are you picking on the kid? And they'll give a bit back. And suddenly it'll just, we'll all be in a frenzy by, by the time we're back at Lords. And it'll be the usual handbags yeah. uh, between the men. Right, well, uh, thank you both. We're, we're also not far off from the start of the women's ashes. So here's a snippet from this week's Ladies Who Switch with the full show going up in the next day or two. And it's 11,000 people at the moment. Maybe more tickets will be sold. Uh, we don't get 11,000 people coming to see men's tests in many, many parts of the country. So I think that's pretty amazing and pretty spectacular. And I feel for those 11,000 people who are not going to see Meg Lanning because unfortunately she has withdrawn from the entire tour. So, I mean, you're on the ground. I don't know how much uh, we know about it there, but uh, disappointing, isn't it, Vox? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, yeah, what we know is uh, Meg Lanning's out for medical reasons. Um, that Cricket Australia have said it's not related to the break that she took from the game last year. Um, but, yeah, she, she's out all the same, which means that Elisa Healy will step up into the captaincy, as she did um, in India last year when Lanning was out with um, Talia McGrath as her vice-captain. Um, yeah, this it, yeah, it is disappointing not to, to see her, but um, I guess you've got to back the Australians to be able to manage. Uh, they had to do it last year and they, they did manage to do it. It's interesting with um, Healy there because she's expressed a desire to drop down the batting order, uh, given the demands, particularly in the test match, last ashes in Australia are uh, of keeping and opening. So uh, it, it means possibly a bit of a, a shake-up at the top of their order. Um, Beth Mooney opened with Phoebe Litchfield uh, in the one-day series against Pakistan uh, earlier this year when Healy was injured. So they have got, you know, a little bit of experience there. Um, you know, Litchfield's, you know, she's, she's only 20 and she's only played sort of five international matches, but she's seen as someone who can step into that, that area. And I guess, too, we always talk about Australia's depth. And, you know, when, when one player doesn't perform, then they've got, you know, 10 more that, that can. So you'd, you'd back them to be able to, one, have the depth to fill uh, the void left by landing, given that, you know, they have done it before. Um, and also, too, just that mental fortitude that they have the ability. To, I mean, they they admitted uh, that they were rattled uh, was the word that was used by uh, Lanning um, having to pull out of the ashes. So it, it did take a, a toll. And, you know, uh, I think Elisa um, Healy and Shelley Nitschke spoke about it being, you know, a bit of an emotional time uh, when that news came through. But um, you do have to sort of back that team to compartmentalise that, park that and sort of say, look, well, you know, we've got a job to do with, with this setback and, and let's get on with it. Uh, excellent. Any last thoughts from here? Um, who's going to win the World Test Championship final? Are any of the Ashes tests going to last five days? Vish, you can go first. Uh, I'm going for Australia in the World Test Championship final. And will they last five days? Yes, because it'll rain, won't it? Uh, similar sort of answers. Australia for the final. And we will get a five-day five test or two because Steve Smith and Marnus Labashane, I think at some point, will get in on one of these flat, fast pitches that, um, that Ben Stokes has ordered. Um, so I think we could see a fair bit of Smith and Labashain over the next uh, few weeks. 
even in the face of Stuart Broad's outswinger. <laughs> okay, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think we're fair dinkum. Uh, the ashes are incoming and all bets are off. At least we might not have to talk about the death of Test cricket for a few weeks. We'll be back next week to preview the first test, but until then, my thanks to Miller, um, hopefully he's better soon, Vish and Nasha, and to you all for tuning in. Please feel free to rate us on your preferred pod platform and keep up with all the latest news at ESPNCrickInfo.com.